0: This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. Co-host, Ethan Hamilton. And tonight we look back on a successful fantasy season for 2021 in our official 100th episode. There were a lot of cheers and tears, but we're here now. But before we get to that, a few housekeeping notes. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on our mailing list this year or going forward, please send us a note there. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at DYDownload2020, and you can now find every episode of the show on dynasty-download.captivate.fm. Finally, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. With that, our Dynasty League has a new champion. Unfortunately, it is not you. So a good shout out to our, I guess, uh, new champion. Uh, I I was trying to think of something more creative than that, but I'm completely drawing a blank. But Justin and New Boot Goofin. I don't know what the final score is. I think it was pretty close, if I remember correctly. But uh, edged you out last weekend for the championship in his first full year in our league. He is now the fourth ever champion of our Dynasty League.
1: Yeah, congratulations to Justin. Um, Disappointed. That's really all I can say. For my team, that's all.
0: I I swear recently, at
1: least since the beginning of this show, that should be your new middle name. Yeah, I have not been there, what, four years in a row? Five years in a row now? Four years in a row? I lost the last three. Disappointing. But we move on. It
0: it takes a lot to be there, and like I said, this year, more than anything else, it was going to be extreme luck, given all of the situations that we had. You barely escaped in that first weekend. Dana barely beat Justin in the second weekend, and then he defies the odds by pulling off a 23-point uh, uh, comeback win, essentially, because you were projected, I think, 161 to, like, his 138. And uh, Dalvin didn't have a great game in the Sunday night. That didn't help you. Antonio Brown's antics certainly didn't help you. And uh, Zeke did not play particularly well in his game against Arizona either.
1: Yeah, a lot of bad starts. Um one positive start for me like from some one person on my bench for um a flex position would have gotten it to me like it was close I don't even remember what the final score was because I didn't honestly I haven't looked at it since I sent out the congratulations text because like I said I'm disappointed but you know I know you said last week it's tough to look back on things but I mean one one different start and um I'd have a different tone but that's fantasy it is what it is
0: well Not to put it all on you, but I also lost a championship game this last week. And we all mentioned it uh, ahead of time that both you and I were in championship games. I was in my office redraft league's championship game against my mother. And I was projected to lose that one by about five points. She had the hotter team coming in. But let's just say it was an absolute slaughter from about the noon games on. And it didn't even really take to the second half of the noon games for me to realize I was not going to win this weekend. And uh, so congratulations, a shout out to my mother on her first championship in that league. I have to say it's kind of extraordinary. I started that league when I was at Duncan Disability Law, I think now nine years ago. And eight out of the nine seasons, a Duncan has won the championship. I've won it three times. My sister, my littlest sister, won it three times, and the most lucky of lucky breaks. She won it three consecutive years. It was weird. My dad won it two years ago, and now my mom has won it. So yeah, it's kind of an odd mess. And frankly, my dad would have won it also last year, but Elvin Kamara had that six touchdown game in the championship weekend, which I think is now infamous, much in the same way that Jamar Chase's Jamar huge Chase, game. Yeah. yeah. His 63-point effort is also now infamous. Uh, if you want to hear any reaction from week 18 or anything else, I did a solo pod the other day that should be up for all of you. You can go back and listen to that, just at least my thoughts. I don't know if you want to hear me drone on for half an hour or not, but that's your prerogative. I put it up there. You can decide whether or not you want to listen to it. So 100 episodes. That's that's a lot. <laughs> How many did you actually think we were going to do when we started this?
1: I don't know. This was a quarantine, something to pass time. And here we are two seasons in.
0: Yeah, my dad and I are approaching our 100th episode on the other show, too. I think we, we just recorded our 97th on Wednesday. And so we've got a couple of movies coming up. But uh, The Godfather is going to be the 100th episode on that show. So for me, they kind of hit the milestone almost at the same time It's kind of unusual, but also I don't know if I can say it's a prideful moment because that always has like a negative connotation with it, but it kind of is. So any other thoughts before we dig into our end of the year thoughts?
1: Not really. Ready to see these um, rankings. A lot of things that might pop out.
0: Okay. So we are recording this on January 7th, 2022, God, I can't believe it's 2022. Uh, But let's start here for the end of the fantasy season or the fantasy year special. What were your biggest takeaways or lessons coming out of 2021?
1: Uh, Honestly, there were none. It was a COVID year. I I feel like (laughs) depth and luck were kind of the biggest things uh, that were helping you out this year. Other than that, I really don't have, too much more rookie, rookie wide receivers again, looked pretty good. So that's about it.
0: Yeah. There were a lot of rookie wide receivers. Jalen Waddle comes to mind. I think he's going to set the rookie receptions record uh, and the amount of targets. I thought he would be getting more deep targets, which is why in coming up here, I had predicted that he would lead all rookies in receiving yardage this year. Didn't quite come to pass, but he's had an extraordinary year. Elijah Moore, when he was on the field, excellent. We already mentioned Jamar Chase. Amon Ross St. Brown has had a really good year. There have been a lot of good rookie wide receivers, and I really don't think that Devontae Smith is necessarily a bad player. I just didn't necessarily like what the Eagles offense was going to have to become where it was so run heavy and run centric. So that's the only reason I was kind of down on him in the preseason is, is just his opportunity and potential for volume, not necessarily the talent level. Although I thought that, the further on we went into the draft process, I also uh, felt a little bit suspect on that as well. Regardless, I think my biggest takeaway right now, and I came into the year with two distinct strategies in kind of a redraft mode. One was try and find positional value at tight end, which I think is borne out. If you drafted Travis Kelsey in the first round, you had pretty much a set it and forget it position that would give you... Positional value over just about anybody else. Now, if you ended up drafting Mark Andrews, uh, I was a little bit down on to come into the year. You also ended up having that. You didn't quite have as much in the few weeks that George Kittle was out, or in Darren Waller this season. But I do think that tight end, if you hit on the right guys, is going to give you positional value. I also believe not necessarily in taking the first quarterback off the board, although I was okay with it at about maybe the fifth round, but possibly taking a quarterback a little earlier than I had been in previous years. Now that didn't work out in my office league. I ended up taking, I think Kirk cousins in like round 13 or something like that. And he ended up having a really good year as we'll visit here in a second. But I think that with the volatility of running back this year, it kind of taught me one of two things. One, I think this is the new normal for the running back position. Guys are going to wear out faster, and they're going to be more interchangeable than ever before. And that backup running backs is going to be a thing. I mean, you want to talk about the guys that came out of nowhere as backups this year to perform well. Deontay Foreman, Rashad Penny down the stretch. I mean, you can name a half dozen guys this last weekend that ended up performing well, possibly won your fantasy championship based on just being in a backup role that got an opportunity because another guy was hurt. I think, what was it? The stat of uh, 13 out of the top 20 running backs taken in the draft missed at least three games this season. And I think eight out of those 20 also missed at least uh, six or seven. So just the amount of volatility at the running back position. I know on this show, we've focused so much on, you want to have that elite star running back, but I'm just not sure that that position exists, save for maybe Jonathan Taylor's extraordinary year this year, even I think Joe Mixon missed one or two games in there and Austin Eckler missed a couple of games as well. And those were the second and third finishing running backs this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can for sure see, um, yeah, it's different though, because like I said, I don't really play redraft anymore, you know, and that strategy I think comes in a little bit different than, um, than in dynasty for sure. We know that, but yeah, I mean, I guess I can agree kind of on the running back position, but For me, I would still rather feel good about having a good running back or two really good running backs because you can still find wide receivers anywhere. So, yeah, I mean, you could get lucky, but I I mean, I took a chance. I took a chance on Zeke, Dalvin Cook, and Austin Eckler, and some people would say that's pretty risky going in with that, but um, I felt like it was a good gamble, and it paid off in the long run. Unbeknownst to me, Dalvin Cook was the one that um, was more fragile than – the other two, which I kind of find found a little surprising, but it is what it is. I, I, for me, I would still rather have the running backs.
0: Well, I'm not saying don't have running backs, but I am saying that you're going to need to make alternative plans and you're only going to just have a lot of depth at the position because how many guys didn't get it hurt. I mean, yeah. Zeke ended up playing through his injury, but you can't tell me that, that, Six seven game stretch during the middle of the year where his line was banged up and he was banged up didn't hurt his fantasy value.
1: Well, of course it did, but then the, the way you're talking about it, that means you got to win on the waiver wire and playing the waiver wire is bull is just ridiculous anyway. Especially if you're a team like myself that's always last in waiver priority. You don't end up with the Cordell Pattersons and the other people like that. So you the people that start off the year down they have that advantage already and they can play that running back waiver wire um, for me. And like people like me and my thought process is, I'm not going to bank on the waiver wire because the waiver wire doesn't work for me. Then doesn't work for my team.
0: I'm not saying necessarily that you have to rely on the waiver wire to be the be all end all, but I do think that you have to modify some level of your draft strategy to accommodate that. Yeah, you could draft about seven different wide receivers in your seven draft picks. I think it's possible that you take a couple of backup running backs, knowing that they may have an opportunity at some point. If you just like the talent and sit and wait on them, I think that does modify how I've looked at the position comparative to some other ones, where I think that wide receivers have been a little bit more healthy uh, over time, especially the younger they are. They tend to not be as risky to have on your team and having eight, nine wide receivers while in the short term makes sense because of the positional value and you have depth at that position. As you mentioned before, you can find a new wide receiver all the time. You can't necessarily find running backs. So I, I think where I'm at is potentially maybe stacking up a lot more running back, uh, backup running backs especially if I don't have those elite top guys that we start most of our redrafts with the guys, we would give first round grades, second round grades to. I mean, all I'm going to
1: say, I don't want to keep going on that because we got a long show ahead of us, but I mean, you, you already play that way. I mean, we are, we call you the handcuff King for the reason, and you're sitting with the number one pick now too, you know, and, Yes, right. people got lucky. I mean, we could even say Justin got, you know, playing the people that he did, but he picked him up off the waiver wire, playing KeShawn Vaughn and everything like that. And Champion, I don't feel comfortable like about doing that. I don't think he feels comfortable doing that either. He would have much rather played uh, Zeke or somebody like that, knowing that you know maybe you might get unlucky like I did, but you feel much more comfortable with somebody like that than all right. I just grabbed this guy off the waiver wire. I really hope it works out. Like, I mean, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, but I mean, I feel like we could talk about this all day and we should probably just maybe agree to disagree (laughs) because we have just two different strategies.
0: Well, certainly. And I think coming into the year with injuries and the rest of it, I think I was honest enough about my team that running back was always going to be my weakest position. And so I had Rashad Penny all season sitting on my bench. I had Sony Michelle after like week one, when they traded for him. these are guys that ended up hitting later, but I think that you do have to take a much deeper position at it and hope that eventually something I'm not saying you have to insert these guys into your lineup, but I do think that you have to take a, more, a much longer term position on these positions and have depth for when inevitably, I mean, Ben lost at different times in the year, Nick Chubb, Christian McCaffrey, I think he had one other major injury at running back and his big stable of running backs, all of a sudden just wasn't the same. And that I think you can't account for necessarily going into the year other than to build depth. Uh,
1: Yeah. Like I said, I think I'm just going to agree to disagree with you on it, but I mean, I get it. They're just two different strategies. That's all.
0: Well, they don't come to the show for us to agree on everything.
1: I know. I'm just saying we should just keep, we should move on.
0: (laughs) All right, end of the year top 10s. So let's start at the quarterback position. Number 10 for the year, Kirk Cousins, having an outstanding year. Now, normally, I think we've said, I think he's finished either somewhere between 11 and 15 as a, a quarterback pretty much every year since he became a regular starter. So for him to creep into the top 10 doesn't seem not necessarily like a huge stretch, but he had at least a decent year and was a serviceable quarterback. Number nine, Dak Prescott, a guy we projected as a potential top five guy coming into the year, tied with Jalen Hurts at number eight. Number seven, Aaron Rodgers, big jump between Aaron Rodgers and the other two guys, at least in our league scoring. And that's what this is based upon. Number six, Matthew Stafford. Number five, Patrick Mahomes. Number four, Joe Burrow, just slightly ahead of Mahomes. And then these three were all much uh, like head and shoulders above the rest of the league. Tom Brady, number three. Number two, Justin Herbert. Those two guys were separated by .05 points in our league scoring. And then finally, Josh Allen is the number one overall quarterback. Biggest surprises for you?
1: I don't think any of them are a surprise. I I believe it may be on the show for sure in our group chat. I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Hurts was a top 10 quarterback just from what he brings to the table. So the quarterbacks, uh, I'm not surprised about any of the people that are in the top 10.
0: Well, with the exception of Jalen Hurts, who I think missed one or two games, none of these guys really missed any games all season. And I think Burrow with his 250 point games in the playoffs really propels him into a a higher spot on this list, but these guys have, for the most part, been the mainstays all season. These have been the guys that are projected in the top 10 just about week in, week out, and that we pretty much knew if you took one of these guys, they were probably going to end up there. I think for most people that Patrick Mahomes finishing as kind of a distant fifth by comparison, I think, let's see here, the difference between him and Josh Allen is roughly 36 points. Uh, so on a 16 or 17 game basis, that's about two points a game. I mean, the difference between the two isn't uh, marginal, but the reputation that he got comparatively this year, I would say, you know, most people project that Patrick Mahomes had it down year. He's been the number one quarterback in fantasy, like clockwork the last three. So for him to slip to number five, I think is unusual. But Tom Brady went from number nine in this last, last year to being number three. So I think a lot of us thought he was going to have a really good year. I don't think most of us saw him being a top three finisher.
1: I'm not really surprised with any of them that are there, but yeah, I can see the Tom Brady comparison, but I mean, there's a lot of weapons that he had in Tampa Bay.
0: Right. I think, and that was reflective of the fact that both Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and uh, Gronkowski all had really good years as well. All right. The running back position number 10, we had Aaron Jones, which despite him missing a few games, And not being as involved, I'm kind of surprised to see him sneak onto this list. Number nine was Cordero Patterson, a guy we've discussed a lot on the show this year as being probably the MVP of pickups, at least through the first two-thirds of the season. James Conner at number eight with, I think it is 16 rushing touchdowns, but only like 700 yards rushing, which is ridiculous. Nick Chubb at number seven. Number six, Ezekiel Elliott. Number five, Leonard Fournette number four, Najee Harris, number three, Joe Mixon, number two, Austin Eckler, and number one, Jonathan Taylor. Uh, biggest surprises for you?
1: Um, Patterson, obviously, that's that's obvious. Um, right. Leonard Fournette, as high as he was, um, that one's pretty big. Um, I was really high on Austin Eckler. I'm kind of surprised to see him in the top three, um, and I'm a little disappointed because I traded Joe Mixon for him, and they're only separated by less than 10 points. I think I gave up the pick or something like that, too. But um, anyway, other than that, James Conner surprises me for sure. But it's the touchdowns. And I think that has a lot to go with how unhealthy Kyler was this year, because knowing um, all the opportunities that James Conner had um, last year and the year before, a lot of those opportunities went to Kyler. So I think there's a lot of change that needs to go on in Arizona, because I don't think Kyler can can withstand a whole year with the, the amount they want to use him.
0: Probably not. Now, the Fournette thing, I think, was a carryover from last year's playoffs, and he had a really good year both on the ground and through the air. I think at the time when he went out and went on IR for the Buccaneers, he was number two in overall receptions by the running back position. I think he had like 63 catches on the year, so his ability to receive out of the backfield from Tom Brady, I think, was a significant boost. But yeah, the one that uh, strikes me, and I've been looking at this for the last five, six weeks, was Austin Eckler and Joe Mixon were basically one and two, and they weren't very far off from one another. And given what you mentioned before, the trade to begin the year, it's basically been waiting for me to beg the question at the end of the year here, would you do that same trade if you could go back?
1: Yeah, I I, I think I want to say, yeah, I kind of forgot what I gave up. I know I gave up Melvin Gordon. Well, in this universe, let's just make it the
0: one for one. One for one. As I opposed mean, yeah, to, because, I, I mean, Devontae Adams was involved in that deal, and uh there was a whole bunch of other things that went on. I know that you uh, right, gave right. up Melvin Gordon one
1: one. yeah,
0: and something else. And, I mean, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on around that, and I don't know yeah, the exact I was, details. I was
1: working my GM skills for sure that week. Um No, I I think I would because I think Austin Eckler has another good year next year. But I also think Joe Mixon does too because Joe Burrow is there. so. I don't know, maybe I, I felt like I talked myself into it and I felt like I talked myself out of it just now. I guess either way I'd be pretty happy, but I like Austin Eckler. I, I like how involved he is in the passing game as well. I feel like Joe Mixon is way more run heavy. Like you he's gotta get his yards, he's gotta get his touchdowns. I feel like a good day for Austin Eckler is fifty yards rushing, but he'll also have fifty yards receiving on like seven catches, and I think that's just more sustainable. So um I guess I'd I'd rather have Austin Eckler.
0: Okay. So the running back one and two from last year did not even make the top 10 list, Dalvin cook and Alvin Kamara. I think the other big running back trade that we had to begin the year was the eventual champion trading the first overall pick for Alvin Kamara, which became Najee Harris. Najee Harris is number four on this list. But if you put your GM hat on here, who do you think got the better end of that deal?
1: Well, I mean, he got a championship, so you can't argue what he did. He went for the sure thing, and you um, can't argue that. But Ben, he he got Najee Harris out of it. He got younger. He got a good back. The question now is, though, um, what is that offense going to look like with a new quarterback? Obviously, ben, wasn't, ben Roethlisberger wasn't great last year, so it might not make too much of a difference. But I'm sure both of them are happy, but I'm sure – Justin feels a little ticked off because he could have kept some more stuff, had Najee Harris as well, who did better than Kamara and still, you know, still won a championship and everything like that. So I'm sure the one who has Najee Harris has got to be feeling a little bit better. Fair enough. So do you think
0: that any of the guys that were on last year's top 10 that didn't finish inside this year's top 10, the Dalvins, the Alvin Kamaras, I mean, they were productive, but their just ability to stay on the field was less and I don't know how old each of those guys necessarily is, but it, once you fall out of some of the top 10 finishes, is there a way to creep back in, in this running back climate?
1: I think both of those guys do have the ability to be back in the top 10 next year. I think for Alvin Kamara, there's just so much that happened on that offense. How many different quarterbacks did he play for? You know? Um, I think my so last that,
0: count five.
1: Yeah. And then, um, with Dalvin. um, some freak health stuff, COVID, things like that. Um, Just not showing up at all the last week against the Packers, just a bad football team that he was on too. Yeah. Their offensive
0: line had some real issues this year, but to me, the more concerning part of it was how little he was involved in the passing game.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, It's tough to tell. I I do think tomorrow maybe has a better chance because he's such a big part of that offense. Every week, every down, Justin Jefferson becomes more and more of a monster. So it's just going to be more and more targets for him. But I do think that Delvin Cook could end up back in the top 10 because he didn't score as many touchdowns this year as normal either. Um, He's still quick. He's still very, very fast. Um, I don't think he's going to lose a step between now and next year. So I, I, I do think both of them have a very good chance to be back here.
0: Out of this current top 10, how many of these guys do you think possibly finish inside the top 10 next year?
1: Let me just go through it. Um, Aaron Jones, I don't think he makes it there with as much as A.J. Dillon is going to be coming up and going through. Oh, and Peterson. we also don't
0: know what's going to go on with the Green Bay offense in the offseason.
1: I'm just, even if everybody comes back. I just think AJ Dillon is going to eat into that way more. Um, Cordell Patterson, I, I think he was a one year wonder. I don't think he's there. James Connor, that's a, that's a great one. Um, I don't know if he's back with Arizona, right? But if he is back with Arizona, man, they have such a good mix. You know, with Chase Edmonds, they're a very good two headed monster with Kyler as well. But I still see it really hard for him to be in there as well. Um, the other ones I feel like you can make an argument for. Even with Zeke Elliott, I feel like you can maybe make an argument for just with as much as he put up with this year. He was still scoring touchdowns, and he got healthier as the year got on. And you can still see he's he's there, and he wants to be there. He came in in the best shape that he's ever come in since a rookie year. So um, he might be the other one that might not. But I say four out of the six, for sure, three out of the six or 3 out of the 10. I keep saying six.
0: I was going to say, I think I could really say about four out of these guys. I think if they, you know, say relatively healthy, maybe five, I would agree with you that Aaron Jones is probably going to be in a different situation. I still have this inkling that Ezekiel Elliott's going to end up being a cap casualty for the, or the Cowboys, given how much salary they have committed to other positions and how much he commands especially since they have somebody there that's explosive and they've already seen, I just think they have a lot of holes to patch after this season for that team. So to me, he could end up in a good situation where he again gets a level of volume that makes sense for him. And so therefore he ends up in the back or back in the top 10, but I think he's either in the top 10 with another team or he's outside of it with the Cowboys. If it's just me.
1: Yeah, Um, that makes absolute perfect sense. That might have been one of the best things I've ever agreed with that you've said about Ezekiel Elliott on this show in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: and the other interesting one to me, and you mentioned him too, was James Conner. We've seen over two seasons and two different guys, James Conner and Kenya Drake, Mm -hmm. be able to be a potential top 10 guy because they were that goal line back for the Cardinals. So I think whomever gets that role, Uh, the opposite of Chase Edmonds is going to probably get double digit touchdowns next year. It just depends on who's going to be that guy because Connor's contract is up. I can't see him commanding a ton of money on the open market just because I can't imagine too many running backs getting a lot of money when there are cap casualties this year. But that being said, you know, if it's not him and it's somebody else, I still think that position is valuable. I don't care if it's him or if it's somebody else, But if it is him, I would agree that he has the potential just because of touchdown value. You know, 700 yards rushing, and yes, he had a good period of receiving, particularly when Chase Edmonds was out. But 16 touchdowns is really hard to argue with that he can't potentially fall back inside the top 10. But Jonathan Taylor to me, Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon, these guys are guys that if they can stay healthy, I think they have the talent value. The only problem I see with Taylor is is this is now two years – And I'd be very concerned with how much the Colts used him, him wearing out. And we have yet to see a number one fantasy back over the last three seasons. I think finish inside the top 10, the following season.
1: Listen, he's a freaking nature, but this is what I said last year too. Like I just, I see him as, you know, the Marion Barber type will have two, maybe three really, really good years. But then I'm telling you, man these guys are they're getting faster they're getting stronger they're getting hit harder like with as big as a beast as you even are because Jonathan Taylor's huge it's gonna wear you down it just is and the way the type of runner he is he's not a runner like Alvin Kamara like you see him take a hit and it's like did he really get hit like he he shrugs off a lot of stuff and he 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 lands so gently I just with Jonathan Taylor he's such a truck like he's going to be great while he is great, but I feel like there's going to be a really quick downfall with him.
0: I was just having this discussion on Monday with another league mate of ours that uh, you're not familiar with, but Roger, who I was mentioning Alvin or not Alvin Kamara, uh, Chris Carson, Chris Carson's Mm -hmm. got that in or inflamed neck injury. And Roger was postulating that it's possible or Chris Carson never plays again. Like he, he has something close to what Nick Collins had for the Packers a few years back and I think that's possible, but he was on his age 26 season and had just signed that big deal with the Seahawks. So, I mean, the, the age is no longer 30. It's not even 29 for running backs. I think for the most of the data right now, it's saying 26, or you might not want to keep too many running backs past their second contract. So let's move to wide receivers then for end of the year numbers here. Number 10, we had Mike Evans. Uh, I think for as much consternation as we had about him last season, he's kind of had a really stellar year, if not necessarily spectacular. He's just been very consistent, still a huge touchdown guy. And I think he only needs like 30-some yards in the game this weekend in order to hit 1,000 receiving yards for, I think, the ninth straight year. Cordero Patterson also coming in at number nine on the wide receiver list. Stephon Diggs, number eight. Number seven, Deontay Johnson, a guy that I was a little down on just because of the way Pittsburgh plays their offense, but he was one of the most consistent wide receivers all season, even in this kind of dink and dunk offense. Number six, Tyreek Hill. I think that's a little surprising to a lot of people that he would fall so low, but they had some struggles on offense this year. Justin Jefferson at number five, number four, Jamar Chase. And then we kind of really jump up into this second tier. So Jamar Chase, Debo Samuel at number three, separated by one single point, and then not even a point above him, Devontae Adams in our scoring at number two, and then well above any wide receiver, I think ever, at least in modern fantasy football, Cooper Cup was 75, 75 and a half points above Devontae Adams, I think on a per game basis, that's almost four points a game
1: yeah i mean in hindsight i feel like we should have saw this cooper cup thing like we're we're both way too smart to have missed this with matt stafford going over there like with the type of route runner that cooper cup is like i in hindsight like i'm i'm pretty ticked off that i missed on something like that and that was pretty decently high on cooper cup coming out of college too he really impressed at the senior senior bowl but uh surprises for me uh Cordell Patterson, obviously, and Deontay Johnson. I'm with there. I'm with you there. And then Debo Samuel being as high as he is. That's Um, the one
0: that really stands out to me.
1: Yeah. He had an incredible year and he led Justin all the way to the championship. So, yeah,
0: I mean, he had, I don't think he had a down game. Uh, I think, what was it? Uh, Cooper cup has yet to finish below 90 yards receiving on the year though except for like one game in week three, I think he's been above 90 yards receiving in every single game so far. And I think he's had it uh, for like an NFL record, 12 state straight games or something like that. He's got 18 touchdowns on the year. I mean, he needs, I think, 12 catches or something like that to pass Michael Thomas's uh, all-time receptions record. And he only needs like 137 yards to pass Calvin Johnson's uh, receiving yardage record in the same year. So, I mean, he's just an astronomical number. I know he's going to have the 17th game to do it, but just the fact that he's even in the conversation and he's clearly going to get all three of the uh, receiving triple crown. He's going to have touchdowns, receptions, and yardage this year, I think is extraordinary. Do I expect him to do this again next year? Probably not to the same level, but I think he is probably your number one dynasty wide receiver by a good margin going into next year. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree with you, Debo, and it wasn't even that he was such a dynamic receiver all the time, and he was. He had so many big plays to start the year, but the fact that I think for, a, what it was it, a month-long stretch, they just used him at tailback, and he still was getting huge points. I mean, it's extraordinary, just kind of the level of receiver play we've had this year. All right, then let's move to tight end. Uh, number 10, we had Mike Gusecki, a guy we talked about a lot, but kind of had fallen off towards the back half of the year when Tua kind of started to plummet a little bit. Rob Gronkowski was number nine, despite how many games he missed during the uh, early part of the year. Zach Ertz, despite switching teams from the Eagles to the Cardinals at number eight. Dawson Knox, seven. I think he missed three games as well. Number six, Dallas Goddard. Number five, Kyle Pitts, which is a good finish for a rookie, and I think he is only the second rookie ever to hit a 1,000 yards in a season, the only other one being Mike Ditka back at, I think, the uh, early 60s. Then you have Dalton Schultz uh, at number uh, four with 154.2 points. Then it takes a slight jump to George Kittle, who despite missing five games finishes in a clear number third. And then you have the two... First and second place finishers, which were head and shoulders above everybody else, Travis Kelsey and Mark
1: Andrews. Surprises? Dalton Zach Schultz. Ertz. Zach Ertz. Dalton Schultz, so, I mean, maybe as high as he was, but there was a lot of talk about him in the offseason. Like, I want to take credit for going and finding him, but there was a lot of talk about him kind of exploding this offseason. season.
0: But there was talk about which one of the two uh, Cowboys tight ends was going to be Jarwin or was it going to be Schultz? Because coming into last year, it was Jarwin. Then he had that major injury. But the Cowboys, I didn't expect them to go as heavy package as they did for most of the first part of the year. And even into the second part where they come out in two or three tight end sets a lot especially by what we saw out of Dallas's offense last year, where they were just spread them out and throw the ball all around the yard. I certainly didn't expect a top five finish for a Cowboys tight end that really kind of came out of nowhere. I think you could have easily predicted the top three because those were basically interchangeable at the beginning of the year with Darren Waller for the guys taken off the board. But I think one of the other ones for me that I can't understand why he's not on this list is TJ Hawkinson.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, he's too damn good. I don't understand. I don't understand.
0: I mean, he, we've seen, he is
1: just too good.
0: We've seen him on Ross St. Brown be able to have production in this offense, and Hawkinson, after about the first two weeks, just kind of dramatically fell off a cliff. I think he only had one touchdown in the – or after week two for the rest of the season, and I think it was on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. I mean, like – 128 points in 17 games or 16 games so far. I don't know what the exact math is on that, but it's not like uh, Mike Gasecki at number 10 was averaging a huge whopping point load.
1: No, I'm super surprised he's on there. I mean, I drafted him and I dropped him a, a couple of weeks in, and I never thought twice about picking him up again. And I know Gronk missed a couple of games, but to see that he is still that close to Gronk is kind of, kind of incredible
0: yeah and I mean you could have up and down games with any one of these guys that finishes below basically pits because Goddard had his games where he was completely missing especially to start the year he had some really good stretches down the back end of the year where I think he was the Eagles' number one target on the offense but I mean Dawson Knox missed some time and he wasn't a focal part of their passing game at different points in the year but he also had big games and other ones I mean, it really was kind of an up and down year for most of these tight ends, unless you had Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews.
1: Yeah. So. For a while I was starting two tight ends just because I had Schultz and I, and I had Gronk and with was some of these guys that you kind of pick your poison. You know, we, we talked about it all year long with the tight end position. You kind of pick your poison and surprising enough to see Zach Ertz and both Dallas Goddard both on here <laughs> like that's you you couldn't have told me that at the beginning of the year I know Ertz switched to a different team but yeah
0: now the only other question I would have with this we've seen a lot of like George Kittle is still somewhat of a throwback tight end Rob Gronkowski is and even to a certain extent George or uh, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey are both there Dalton Schultz plays in line but Kyle Pitts is really the new breed of tight end that plays more like a wide receiver that could classify as tight end. Do you see the league kind of shifting a little bit more in that direction as we go along so that we're going to have more high point pro, uh, players at the position, or is this still going to be a position defined by only a few elite players?
1: I think it's just going to be a couple of elite league guys. Like wide receivers don't want to play tight end. They want to play wide receiver. Wide receivers are divas. You know, and they don't want to be in there doing the dirty work. Kyle Pitts is a completely different type of animal. Um, he's just a freak of nature, um, kind of a one of one with it, that type of person. And I say that, but you know, he reminds me a lot of like a Vernon Davis and those type of those type of um, wide receivers, those type of tight ends. So I don't think that that this is going to become a norm. I think it's just the wide receiver pool is going to keep getting deeper.
0: Okay. So then let's finish up here, at least for our top 10s on defense, just for the sake of it. So number 10, we had Tampa Bay at 137 points. We had number nine, Philadelphia at 139 points. Number eight, Tennessee at 141 points. Number seven, Indianapolis at 149 points. Number six, Miami at 150 points. Number five, Denver at 152 points. Number four, New Orleans at 157 points. And then the three clear runaways, New England at 183 points, Buffalo at 184 points at number two, and Dallas has 188 total points for the year at number one.
1: I don't really got too much to say about defenses.
0: (laughs) I don't either. I think it's more an an exercise in interest more than it is predictability because next year, who freaking knows? Yep. I mean, the, the best defense from one year to the other is just not predictable. So, I think New England's the only repeat uh, team other than maybe Denver and Miami from last year. Oh, Indianapolis was also high on the list. But, I mean, year to year, these these go up and down all the time. That's why I don't even bother keeping a defense because you'll keep somebody like the Seattle defense, uh, the Legion of Boom from years ago, who was barely inside the top ten when you should have been able to draft probably a much better fantasy defense and not have to give you the keeper cost of it. So, all right. Our favorite segment. I know you hate this. I really do, but the good, the bad, and the ugly calls of the year. So my, I just don't like being
1: wrong. That's all.
0: (laughs) My good calls of the year. I had Eli Mitchell uh, as a draftable running back late in our mock draft so that's one. Jamar Chase, I did say, would possibly break Justin Jefferson's rookie re, uh, receiving yardage record. He did that last week with his incredible 266 yard performance. Uh, I said Justin Jefferson would outscore Stefan Diggs this year. That also came about. I think he finished his number five to Diggs' number eight. So not terribly far off, but enough that I'll, I'll count it. And I did say that I'll take a half point on this one. I said Jalen Waddell will lead all rookies in wide receiver points this year. Unfortunately, I think he's only going to lead in receptions, but he did have an exceptional year. I just didn't see the level of uh, Jamar Chase necessarily being that extraordinary, being the separator this year. So for your good, what do you got?
1: Um, Austin Eckler will finish as a top five running back this year, and I think that's apparently it.
0: Yes. Number two, uh, is that in to- inside the top five? I I'm sorry. I was always bad at math.
1: <laughs> Most definitely is. I'll start with my bad though. Cause, um, Corey Davis giveth and he taketh away. Apparently I said that he would finish as a wide receiver one this year. Um, I can see myself saying that he had a prime spot in New York. He looked good after week one and then that was kind of about it. So, uh, fuck you, Corey Davis. yes Corey Davis giveth and he taketh away he had a really good preseason particularly that game
0: that he played against the Packers that I think got most people salivating and like you said he had that good week one and he spent most of the rest of the year injured so I think he has the talent to be there he's just playing with an organization that's truly lousy in the Jets although honestly I'd rather be a Jets fan right now than a Giants fan and uh I guess we'll see what he ends up being next year. He could end up being a a huge surprise for most of us again, but who knows? My bad call of the year. uh, Justin Fields will be a top 10 quarterback at the end of the year. I think we saw the talent there, but we were expecting him to kind of break out the way Justin Herbert did last year. And there's really only one Justin Herbert. So I really uh, kind of regret that. one. My ugly call of the year I kind of have a slight disclaimer on this one because I don't think it was necessarily a bad call, but it just, the result seems to be ugly. And that was Calvin Ridley being the number one wide receiver in fantasy for this entire year. Obviously that did not come to fruition. He was in and out of the lineup due to personal reasons come to find it later that he was having a lot of, um, I I think by his own self-admitted, so I'm not projecting here, but uh, mental health uh, issues. And so we wish him to take care of himself. Hopefully he can be back next year because I do think the talent is there and that he could have had a good year, although this Falcons offense was not particularly good. But we saw that Kyle Pitts at least put up numbers. Cordero Patterson put up numbers. So it's possible that he could come back and do some things. But obviously with uh, if he's still got that bothering him, we want him to try and get as much help as he needs and feels that uh, he deserves. So. Uh, Your ugly call of the year, sir.
1: Uh, Terrace Marshall will lead all the rookie wide receivers in fantasy points this year. I don't know. I I guess I saw for sure saw him being a bigger part of that offense, but uh, the Panthers are a dumpster fire for sure at the moment.
0: Uh, Do you remember back early in the season after about like the first three or four weeks when Sam Darnold was like number two in in the league in scoring at the fantasy position?
1: You kind of thought things were going to come around, right?
0: Yeah. I, wow. So <laughs> as far as preseason predictions go, uh, I correctly predicted so far, at least, the Packers, Buccaneers, Cowboys, Chiefs, Titans, and Bills, although the Bills have yet to officially win uh, this weekend against the Jets. But let's be honest, they're playing the Jets to win their division. But six out of eight, I, I'll take that you correctly predicted the packers, buccaneers, cowboys, chiefs and bills again they're playing the jets but let's let's take dues where where we have them so just to revisit our preseason picks technically both of ours are still alive although i would say yours is in a slightly better position my super bowl pick to begin the year was the chiefs over the 49ers 49ers have to win this weekend against the rams or hope that the saints lose to the falcons in order to get in but they still have a chance to be alive You had the Packers over the Chiefs, which I think right now most people would actually see as the betting favorite to be the Super Bowl matchup.
1: Yeah, I should have took the line probably way back then and probably looked better. (laughs) You should have taken
0: it after the Packers lost in week one.
1: (laughs) That's probably the optimal time to do it. Damn. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you remember how despondent we were at Ben's wedding?
1: Um, Yeah, I think we drank our way our sorrows. It was a good wedding.
0: Hmm. Yes. (laughs) Good thing. It was slightly open bar. Anyway, end of the year questions that I have, besides the ones we've already discussed, what is the one position you want an advantage at over every other position
1: right now? I mean, I think the easy question or easy answer would be tight end just because we talk about how premium of a position that is. But again, for me, I I want running backs. I feel like I can find wide receivers kind of anywhere I, I want running backs that I know I can put in that are going to do what I need them to get taken care of. So uh, for me, it's running backs, man.
0: I think for me, it's tight end. And I think it was a slightly leading question for, cause I knew exactly what my answer was going to be. I think if you have a Travis Kelsey or you have a Mark Andrews this year, the rest of your team does not need to be as elite in order for you to be viable as a, as a team. I think if you have a decent starting quarterback who can be consistent, and we already saw that there are a lot of good quarterbacks that we basically predicted to be inside the top 10. If you get one of those, you have an elite tight end and then you have one elite player at another position, wide receiver or running back. I don't think you need elite at any other part of your team and you could be a potential championship winning or caliber team. So I think that by itself, that offers you more uh, positional advantage and team um, probability, or I guess, what would be war in fantasy football? I, I, whatever the equivalent is. I think it, it increases your chances of winning more than almost anything else right now. Uh, number two, if you had to start a new dynasty fantasy team today, who would you take as the number one pick?
1: Uh, Jonathan Taylor. And I feel like anybody else that says anything different, it's kind of a little out there. Jonathan Taylor or Cooper cup
0: for me, I don't even think Jonathan Taylor enters into the equation. I think, I think it's between one of three wide receivers. It's probably between Jamar chase, Cooper cup or Justin Jefferson. And then I think about maybe Josh Allen.
1: Hmm. See, I like, like I said, running backs for me. I know, but
0: my, my, (laughs) thought process is is just the window for running backs is shortening and if you truly think that he's only going to have one or two more years the rest of your teams also got, got to be at that level in order to project you into the championship if you're right, starting right. the league today the likelihood of you hitting on the rest of your picks to be ahead of everybody else I'm just not sure that I, I would say that if Jonathan there if you took does- Taylor
1: does if Jonathan Taylor does close to what he does and you take another decent running back. And then, like I said, you can pick up wide receivers and then maybe you hit a flyer. Like Debo is, was not being drafted as the number three. You know what I mean? I think he was in the eighth round. That's what I'm saying. That's just how I'm thinking about it.
0: What is the one draft pick from last year that you wish you had back?
1: For the people that haven't been following along last year, I didn't have a first in the second round pick. Um, So my first pick was, Terrace Marshall, I believe, or he was my second, Um, but he's the one I wish I had back. I have not been doing great on drafting wide receivers these two years. So uh, that's something I for sure need to work on. But yeah, he's for sure one I wish I had back.
0: Yeah, I, I know this is a tougher question for you. I think, again, this was more of a question for myself, who I really felt like I botched a lot of picks. But if there was one pick that I really wish I had back, it's probably either. I don't think I would have seen this at the time. I think the obvious answer for most people would probably be Trey Sermon just because of how he turned out at pick number eight in the first round last year. But I think the one that I regret more than anything is probably Adam Troutman in the second round at pick number eight. I think more than anything, because I I ended up passing on quite a few different guys that ended up being really good players in order to take him. Now, Trey Sermon, I think will probably cost me more in the long run, but I think I was looking at, I needed a running back more than anything, I thought this guy had the upside. I still like the 49ers offense for running backs, obviously, as you can see for Elijah Mitchell. But in order to do so, I passed on guys like Jalen Waddle and Elijah Moore. And for that matter, even some of the guys that were in the second and third rounds, the Amon Ross St. Browns and that sort of thing, in order to take him there. And I think in the long run, I'll probably really rue having taken that one. But in the moment, I think that still makes sense. And if I had to go back, I probably would make the same pick even knowing what I did at the time. So for me, it's the Adam Troutman pick where I kind of panicked and ended up taking him in the second round when there were several other guys who ended up having much better years. And yes, he's still around on my roster after I cut him for probably half the season because I still think he has talent. And if that uh, Saints offense does get a quarterback by next season, who knows? But it's still not the, the greatest of picks compared to what I could have had in that second round. All right. Since we probably look back enough, then let's head uh, into the fantasy offseason, discuss a little bit of week eight and the playoffs are going to be starting after this week. We will be going to one episode a week starting next week as we kind of do our playoff uh, episodes here. But uh, week 18 preview game of the week for me is going to end up being the 49ers and the Rams, just because I think more than any other game that probably has the most on the line as to actual risk rewards. I know most people will probably say the Raiders and the chargers uh, just because that's a win and get in type of scenario, but the 49ers have to win in order to get in and the saints are likely to have already won against the Falcons. So I don't think that they can afford to lose this one. They've won five straight against the Rams. The Rams need to win the game likely to win their division because I can't imagine the Cardinals losing to the Seahawks this weekend despite the Seahawks putting up 51 points last weekend. So, to me, I think this has the most risk reward for anything as far as major contenders who I think can win the Super Bowl. I don't think the Chargers or the Raiders could probably win the Super Bowl. I think maybe the Chargers could get there, but I don't think they can win it. So, if you're looking at guy or teams, a game between potential title contenders that actually have a chance. I think that's the game to really keep an eye on. What's your game of the week?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go. Well, I did have that one before you came in, but um, I'm, I'm going to have gonna that one Chargers. too. No, I'm going to take Chargers and Raiders. You win and you're in. I mean, playoff game before the playoffs can't sure. get much better than that. All
0: right. So, upsets of the week. I mean, this is kind of folly to try and pick upsets in this weekend, but if I'm really going to pick one, I think I'd take the Niners to beat the Rams on the road just because they've done it so many times before. I know they're like a four-and-a-half-point dog, but I just don't see too many other teams that I really believe in that can probably win that aren't uh, probably baked into their current spread. So what is your
1: upside of the week? See, and I don't think this is going to happen, but I can see it happening. I, I can see the Raiders winning against the Chargers. Um, At home, you know, Vegas is going to be rocking with as much as they've gone through this year, too. They're going to be playing really hard. So um, I can see Raiders Raiders over the Chargers, but I don't think it's going to happen, but I can see it. Sure.
0: Over-unders for the week. I took one of the ones that we had on the board last week, the Aaron Rodgers-Kirk Cousins combined touchdown passes off the board because Kirk Cousins did not play. So we both finished at 2-2 and for last week, so we're still each five hundred. So, I'll give us another week to try and pull us out of the doghouse. Uh, More rushing yards last week. I had Josh Allen or Devin Singletary versus the Falcons. We both took Allen, and Devin Singletary actually had 110 yards in that game to Allen's 81. So, that was an interesting result. Mac Jones had, we had him at uh, 232 and a half passing yards versus Jacksonville. We both took the under. He had 227. I don't know if it can get too much closer than that. Kyler Murray, 0.5 interceptions versus Dallas. We both took the over. He actually didn't throw one, so that was a bit surprising. And then finally, Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Taylor, 174.5 combined rushing yards. We both took the under. I was more willing to potentially go over than you were, but given that Taylor rushed for 108 and Jacobs had 63, they had 171 yards, so finished only four yards shy of the over. We both got that one though. So – Week 18, I found a few different ones to uh, from our friends at DraftKings uh, to take uh, as player props for this week. Tyreek Hill, 63.5 receiving yards versus Denver, over or under? See,
1: it's tough because, you know, it's the last week of the season don't want to get people hurt. Obviously, the Chiefs aren't playing for too much, but um, I can see them rolling out real quick and then pulling the starters after they get, they get up big. So I'll take the over.
0: I would have taken the under and I probably should still. But given that the Chiefs are probably going to play the entire game because they're going to have to in order to probably win, and this is a, the early game on Saturday tomorrow, I would guess that he's probably going to go over, particularly because both of Denver's top cornerbacks are out for this game with COVID. So I'll take the over as well. Cooper Cup to get his uh, for, or to get the NFL single season record for receiving yards. In a season, 136.5 receiving yards versus the San Francisco 49ers, over or
1: under. That's so many yards. I'm going to take the under. That's a lot of yards.
0: The San Francisco secondary is suspect to begin with and has really been passed on more than most other teams. I actually think that the Rams could be um, down in this game and have to throw the ball a lot. And I think Cooper Cup is primarily their offense. So I'm going to take the over, thinking he's going to get it because I think they're going to have to throw the ball. And also, some of the members of the 49ers secondary are also out with COVID for this game. So I just see it being a matchup nightmare for the 49ers and them throwing the ball all over the yard, despite whatever Matthew Stafford does. So unless the 49ers basically eat up the clock with running it for, I don't know, 50 times in this game, I just still see him getting his yards and his uh, touchdowns in this one. I will take the over. Deontay Foreman, 60 and a half rushing yards versus Houston.
1: I'm going to take the under. I know maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to take the under.
0: Houston has one of the worst rushing defenses, particularly at yardage given up per play, and I think Deontay Foreman's proven to be the lead back right now in Tennessee. With uh, I don't expect Derrick Henry to be in this game. I think that's what's baked into his... Low total here more than anything else. Tennessee needs to win the game in order to secure uh, home field for the playoffs and the number one overall seed, especially so that they can get Derrick Henry back by the time they would have to play a game. So I expect him to play, probably play a lot. I'm going to take the over on this one. Justin Herbert, 278.5 passing yards versus the Raiders. Over or under?
1: Um, I am going to take the over because, I mean, I think it's going to be a shootout.
0: I agree with you. I will also take the over. I think this game is going to be defined by a ton of points. So yeah, definitely way over because I think Justin Herbert's really going to have to play well in order for them to win this game. Taysom Hill, 50 and a half rushing yards versus the Atlanta Falcons over or under.
1: I'm going to take the over as well. That's the best part of his game is his feet.
0: I agree. And we also saw that Josh Allen got 80 yards on the ground against the Falcons last week. This is going to be an indoors game. They're going to be doing everything they can. I really feel that Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara are both going to have like 15 carries a piece in this game and just run the ball right down the gut. So I also go with the over on this one. So any final closing thoughts to the year before we go to week 18 in the playoffs, my friend.
1: Nope. Another great year of fantasy football. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. And now we kind of have this weird malaise. It, it's, there's the fantasy season and then there's the playoffs and I like them both for different reasons, but it just, it feels like something's missing when it comes to the playoffs and there's no fantasy left.
1: Yep. That's for sure. That's true.
0: So thank you to all you listeners and dynasty players out there, especially those that have been listening to us from the very beginning. This rounds out our hundredth episode. We do appreciate you for being with us for even one of those episodes but especially if you've been there all season since last season um, even the last few weeks as we've kind of dealt with our own personal issues we will be back again next week to recap week 18 and get set for the playoffs but until then
1: until then uh, be safe everyone and have a happy final uh, week of football
0: A reminder that we will be going to once a week for the rest of the season now that the fantasy season is done, but you can still join us every week to talk about the playoffs and the potential dynasty implications of everything still happening each week with the rest of the NFL right up through the Super Bowl in Los Angeles, Super Bowl 56. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020. Find every episode of the show at dynasty-download.captivate.fm. And as always, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.